Annie, bonjour, bonjour, and hi everyone. Welcome to Hyphenated, the Mixed Mama Life podcast. I'm your host Lynn, and I'll be giving you regular doses of life as a mixed race mama to be. You can follow me on Instagram at the Mixed Mama Life, and make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss out on any episodes. I'm currently releasing new ones every Friday morning. Been a busy week uh, here as we celebrated my dog's birthday. So my little Loki turned four. And then my partner's birthday, I won't say his age because he's pretty private, Um, but we celebrated his birthday and now we're gearing into celebrating mine and my goddaughter's birthday. So it's a busy month usually filled with, you know, March break and birthdays and springtime and usually some kind of travel, but we are still in pandemic mode. So there's going to be no in-family or in-person celebrating with friends. We're going to have some video calls. It's going to be nice and mellow, which is all right. This marks my, this will mark my second birthday during pandemic, which There's no other words for it other than it sucks, (laughs) but we'll make the best of it. We were supposed to be in Disney this year last week, and we postponed it for a year, and now here we are, and we're postponing again. So no Disney, and I'm probably going to be drinking lemonade this weekend for all the lemons that life keeps throwing at me, but... That's all right, and non-alcoholic at that, since I'm expecting. Okay, let's get into this week's uh, topic. So for this week, the title is Franglish, the reality of being bilingual. I will be mostly talking about French and English, because those are the two languages that I speak, and I'm fluent in both of them, but anyone who speaks more than one language will be able to relate. So first, I want to put some context. I was born and raised in a small, mostly French, northeastern town called Sturgeon Falls. Most citizens speak both French and English. And I went to, you can attend school, church, play in sports, or even buy your groceries, all while speaking French or English. I went to French schools my whole childhood, and even in high school, And this was not French immersion. This was straight up French school. And the only subject that was taught in anything other than French was English. I had access to French radio stations, French concerts, local news, etc. In the hallways of my school, you would hear a mix of French with some English being spoken. This was kind of like our slang or what we called Franklish. (laughs) We would take the English words and add them into our French conversation, often turning an English word into a French verb, as if French wasn't hard enough to begin with. Examples of this would be, on s'en va en bike. Translated in English, this would be, we're going on our bikes, or we're going on our bicycles. Or I would say, or we would say, on a bike, yeah, beach. And that translated means we biked to the beach and so on. Of note, I know that the proper, you know, what the proper terms are, and I know that plage is beach and bicyclette is bike, but we didn't always talk like that. We mixed it up a lot, and I still do when chatting with my girlfriends 
or family or pretty much anyone from my hometown, really. This is actually called code switching. And it's exactly as described above when I, when I used both languages and I used words and I commingled. It's whether you use two languages in one sentence or a conversation or you use one primary language and add in words from the secondary language within that conversation. So that is code switching. And that's the definition in linguistic terms anyways. A lot of this happens when my partner and I actually visit my parents because we're so used to speaking French or our slang and then we have to switch to English or we have to repeat it in English. Even though my partner understands French, he, he's pretty good. I have to give it to him. But the speed in which we converse and then the slang just adds way too much and I know he kind of just gets lost into it and he just doesn't say anything, <laughs> which is usually my cue to repeat it or explain in English what we're talking about. So going back to growing up in my town, we also swore in both languages, but when you swore in French or when someone swore in French, you knew that person was really mad, especially if that person swearing was a teacher since I went to a French Catholic school. And yes, our swear words are mostly words and references to the Catholic church or the religion. There's a very strong tie with Franco-Ontariens or Franco-Ontarians and the Catholic church, which further confuses and contradicts my identity of being biracial as Catholicism, I hope I'm saying this right, was introduced here by newcomers from France and missionaries who we know have played a big role in converting and trying to quote-unquote civilize and abolish the Indians at the time. So still today, there's a strong presence of religion in many Indigenous communities, including the communities surrounding where I grew up, but it's just another layer to navigate as a biracial individual. Throw that all in the mix. <laughs> so moving on, I then attended an English university only. So it was English only university, which was quite the adjustment school-wise with now having to write long essays in all the subjects. And they had to all be in English versus before I only had to write maybe one a year in English. Uh, and I can still remember sitting in biology class, which I took as an elective. I know I'm a nerd. And I would write the names of different cells in French in the margins and along my notes. That's before we brought laptops to school so that I could understand. So I'd be writing the French terms for the cells and body parts and stuff in French. I did this for the first year in university as a lot of the terms I knew were only in French. I mean, there's mainstream ones, you know, obvious ones that I knew in English, but for the most part, I had a lot of French words here and there within my notes in order for me to understand better or at least quicker. Plus, my brain thinks and problem solves in French, even when I spoke or wrote in English. So my essays took a little longer, reading and studying took a little longer and a little more work, but I got better at it and a lot of people I've worked with now or I work with now wouldn't know that I was French or that French was my first language. Now saying that, 
spend enough time with me and read enough of my emails or reports that I'm sure some traits of English second language comes out. Or I'll let a French swear word slip, or I still blurt out random French words or start speaking French out of the blue because, well, that's how my brain still works. Most of the time, I still think in French. It's my go-to and as most people do with their mother tongue. Now I want to share some faux pas that I still do today when it comes to speaking English. And I know they're not grammatically correct, but when speaking, it's like my brain doesn't have the time to make the right decision or put them in the right order. So it's usually only after I've said it and my ears have heard it that I go, no, wait, (laughs) that doesn't sound like that or it shouldn't sound like that. This is not what I'm trying to say. You know, why is it that in my head it makes perfect sense? But now it doesn't. (laughs) So some of these are saying like you and me versus you and I. I forget that all the time. Or even putting myself first. So I'll say like, well, me and you. (laughs) And I know that's not how you're supposed to say it, but it comes out. The whole pronouncing the H's or not. And I mean, pronunciation as a whole is sometimes an issue even during this podcast. A lot of words I have an issue with when it comes to saying out loud. Example is in my notes for this podcast, I actually spelled out academia in a different way so that I knew how to say it because I always want to say academia. (laughs) I can't even say without laughing now because here I am doing this podcast about being bilingual And I couldn't even say this word out loud. So yes, academia um, is spelt very differently in my notes than how you would normally spell it because it helps me pronounce it properly. Another word that I have a hard time to pronounce is conscious and conscientious. That's just torture for me. And again, I've like spelled it out in my notes because I would not be able to get through it, especially just in conversation. I often stumble on this word and I have in the past and I probably will the rest of my life for some reason. Another thing that I say, and this is a funny one, it's shut the lights. And I think this is popular for a lot of French speaking people. And it makes (laughs) my partner laugh or like question me like uh, every time I say it. But I think it just goes with, well, shut the lights and lift the window like in the car. And I think it's because of the literal translation. Instead of turn turn off the lights or turning the lights off and close the window, it's a direct translation. So literally in, in, or in French, it would be to lift the window. And in French for the lights, it would be to turn or to switch you know, the light switch off, you know, to turn it off. That literal action or words are what I think of. Then when I say it in English, it just, I clearly sound like English is not my first language. Another thing, another interesting fact about me is that I don't really count in English. I can can count in English out loud, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, keep going. But I still count primarily in French. And that includes doing any kind of math, like adding, subtracting, you know, whatever. 
And just counting on my fingers, I'll usually start in French. If I'm speaking French, I'll be like one, two, three, and then I'll go cat, cinq, six, set, and I'll continue <laughs> speaking or counting in French, or I'll just switch to in my head in French. An example of this is when my partner and I play cards or darts or whatever, and you have to count your points, I have to count out loud and in French in order to do like quick math. And I know that's not quick quick math if you're saying it out loud but that's how I work math was never a strong suit of mine and my brain just seems to refuse to do any math in English it's like it goes blank like I almost panic when I have to do it in English <laughs> so yeah something about me continuing on the whole counting in French there are some funny translations in French when you translate it directly to English about like French um, numbers. Just proves that French is so complicated and it's a very descriptive language. I don't think I ever noticed this until I saw this, this video, but I'll, I'll explain what I mean by the literal translation of numbers. So when you count from one to 16 in French, it's pretty normal, like all the words have their own name, just like in English. When you get to 17, it's translated to 10-7. So zizet is 10 sevens. And then 18 is 10 eights, 10 nines, etc. Then in the 20s, it's 20 and 1. So 21. So you're like doing the math, but you're saying it out loud. Then it's back to normal until you hit 70. And at 70, it's pronounced soixante-dix, and that's literally sixty-ten. So that's 70, 60-10. Not 60 plus 10, it's just 60-10. <laughs> then it's 60-11, 60-12, For 80, it's quatre-vingt. So we make the multiplications. Quatre-vingt is four twenties. So that's 80. 80 is four twenties. Then 420s, 1, 420s, 2, 420s, 3, you get the point. Then you get to 90, or 90, which is 42010. <laughs> and then 42011, and so forth. Like, growing up bilingual, I don't think I ever realized the direct translation and how complicated this would be for a non-French person to fathom or to, or to learn. Because now that I see it this way, like it's so literal and it's like doing the multiplications out loud and the multiplications out loud are actually the word term for the number. There's a, a video online, uh, I think it's on YouTube, of a New York cab driver who explains exactly this, but he says it a lot funnier than I do. I will try to find it and link it in the episode notes. I saw this years ago. Yeah, I think you guys will get a laugh out of it, but I never realized until I started writing this out. <laughs> As I said, I think French but speak English. When I'm deep in thought and my partner interrupts me, I sometimes blurt out the answer quickly in French. Then I realize what I've said and I have to to switch. And I can't find the French words when I'm speaking in French. And I can't find the English words when I'm speaking in English. It's a constant struggle. My brain is constantly 
I guess, switching one to the other, whether thinking or speaking. A lot of it happens without me really noticing, but sometimes, especially when I'm tripping over my words, if that's even a saying, I notice that, yeah, okay, like my brain's not catching up to what I want to say here. (laughs) I talk with my hands, which has, you know, made it interesting when wearing or holding or standing in front of a mic, especially since I do presentations as part of my full-time job. I've hit mics, rubbed or touched my my chest and it just like bangs the mic. It, I mean, it makes it interesting, I guess. I guess. I've gotten a lot better at it, but that is the reality, I think, with being French. It's, it's one thing that we're known for is speaking with our hands and being animated. And I think it goes with the whole language of it being so descriptive. I also tend to want to use English expressions when speaking in French and French expressions speaking in English, which is a real pain. And again, that's where I end up stalling or like trying to figure out what I really mean in that language. And oftentimes, even though it sounds really good in my head or I say it in, say I'm speaking in English, I think of a saying that would go with the conversation that I'm talking about. But the saying's in French, and then I try to like translate it, and I just, yeah, it doesn't go well. The person usually looks at you with a blank stare, or there's a pause on the phone. <laughs> what I really want to say seems extra hard, even though it should technically be easier, because I have two languages now, not just one, to describe what I'm trying to say. Although most days I think that makes it even harder. Another thing I want to talk about is how... Language can actually change or describe how you perceive time. Depending on the language, time is measured as a distance or by volume. Distance like long and short, and then volume like big or small, or like the amount. A couple of linguistic professors, so Emmanuel Byland and Panos Athanasopoulos, have discovered that people who speak two languages fluently think about time differently depending on the language context in which they're estimating the duration of events. So an example of this would be when you think of a big event like a wedding. Some people think when they think of a big wedding, in their head it pops up right away like, oh, there's probably 300 people or a number of people in attendance. Whereas others might think of how long the event or the day will be because if there's a lot of people that means the speeches are drawn out and it's going to take forever to maybe have dinner you know that's a little example of how depending on the descriptive language the language used and that culture it can change how you think or how you describe time which i think was pretty interesting i never realized that but now looking at that example and just thinking of conversations I've had with like international partners and, and people who speak different languages, that is so very true. And clearly language affects our perception, our emotions. Now, as I've learned, our sense of time. So learning a new language does in fact change your perspective and broadens your horizons. It can make the unknown now known. And I will qu- quote Emmanuel Acho here. So he said... Proximity breathes care and distance breathes fear. Learning a new language, you learn how that culture sees the world, 
perceives things and what's important to them. If we look at the Inuit people, for example, they have anywhere from a dozen to 50 different words describing the word snow. Snow is obviously very important to them as they live in some of the harshest weather and the snow would influence everything from how they dress to how they hunt to when they hunt to, you know, what they eat, etc. They have words for snow in all of its states, like when and how it falls and if it's frozen or thawed and etc. So for them, snow is hugely important and they have a huge vocabulary around it, whereas Some of the words that they use, I don't think could directly be translated in English because we have no use for that kind of snow in our, like traditionally in our English speaking language. So that's one thing to think about. I want to leave you with that and I'll repeat the quote again from Emmanuel Acho. He said, proximity breathes care and distance breathes fear. And that can be applied in so many areas of our life, whether it's just learning about a culture or learning that language or learning about issues around certain cultures, etc. You know, we all fear the unknown. And I think that quote really brings that out. It makes it so simple. I will leave you with that. So I hope that you learned or took something away from this week's podcast. If anything that I made you laugh with some of my code switching and my slipping on some of my words... <laughs> With that, miigwech, merci, and thank you for listening. If you're listening and you enjoyed it, please leave a review, especially if you're on Apple Podcast. If not, feel free to send it to me directly or on my Instagram at the Mixed Mama Life. I hope you all have an amazing weekend. Much love, your host, Lynn.